We are in our second week of our Nudge 2.0 series where we're looking at how God uses these little nudges to transform our lives and the lives of others. So a nudge is the sudden deep down sense from God that you ought to do something inconvenient in the moment. So I've told this story a while back, but uh, it was about several, several years ago, we were heading to vacation in Oceanside, California. We were all loaded up in the family truckster, the Honda Odyssey wagon, and we were going on I-10, and we were just outside of uh, Palm Springs when Cindy got a small nudge. You see, we drove past two people that were carrying, two ladies that were carrying a gas can. And she got a nudge, a small nudge, and she said, sweetheart, I think we need to stop and help. And the funny thing is, simultaneously, I got a nudge as well. I said, honey, I think we need to go to Oceanside, California as quickly as we can. <laughs> now, how many of you know that nudges aren't all from God? I thought about calling this message the narcissistic nudge because I think if we're honest, sometimes we get those nudges. But Cindy threw the pastor card out. She said, really, pastor? Really? <laughs> and when she so throws that out, she's mad. So I quickly pulled over and did the reverse of shame on the side of the, you know, going back all the way back real slow along, acting like I was going to pick them up the whole time. And then they get into the, the, uh, the, the, the wagon and they quickly they say, you know, thank you so much we prayed that someone would stop and pick us up. I said, wow. Oh, man. So y'all are Christians. Oh, no, 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 no. We worship many gods. Might I remind you they were en route to California. So... I'm already kind of mad, right? Because I really, you know, I had the narcissistic nudge. I was ready to go anyways. And so I look back and I say, well, the rest of us in this van, we worship one God. His name is Jesus. And he's the one that told me to pick you all up. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about the power of small. The power of small. You may say, well, wait a second, Pastor John. Why would you use that story if you're going to talk to us today about the power of small, I mean, it was a small nudge. We get that, but it didn't really produce anything. I mean, you didn't lead them to Christ. To the best of our knowledge, they didn't go home to California and start a homeless shelter or go to Haiti and start an orphanage. They're probably still New Agers. So, so why would I use that story to illustrate small? Because I want to give you a 2.0 truth today. This is nudge 2.0. You ready? Here's what I want to say, is the power of small is not found in what it produces, but rather who it pleases. See, regardless of how that turns out, if God says nudge, even if it's a small, seemingly insignificant nudge, if God tells you to do something, you do it, because if it pleases him, it pleases him. Isaiah 43, 21, we exist for God's glory. We are breathing today, and our heart is beating today for the purpose of glorifying our creator. And so regardless of what the results may or may not be, if God calls you to a small nudge, you step out in faith. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Second Kings 4, we're going to get into God's word. We're going to see the power of small. And, and, and a woman from a small town named Shunem, small town, and she gets a small little nudge. But that nudge is going to have massive implications, eternal implications. Second Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who comes often our way is a holy man. Let's make him a small, a small room on the roof and put in it a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. Then he can say whenever he comes to us. One day, Elisha came, and he went up to his small room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my people. In other words, I'm good. What can be done for her, he asked. Elisha asked. Gehazi said she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway, the doorway of the small room. About this next time, about this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Lord, thank you for the power of something so small. Set our eyes on the minute today. Help us not overlook what is found in the seemingly insignificant things of life. Do that through the Holy Spirit today. Teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I'm going to put a map up here. I want to show what's going on. So, the red line, that was his hometown, Abel Mahola, and he would travel to Mount Carmel where he would train the prophets. That's also where he called down fire from heaven and defeated the 450 prophets of Baal, right? So, he, he spent a lot of time traveling from Abel Mahola to Mount Carmel, and 20 miles either way was the perfect midpoint of Shunem. And a person could travel by foot about 20 miles a day. So it was a perfect place for him to rest. Well, the lady does something small. She says, hey, sweetheart, let's build him a small room. Truth number one, we need to learn to make room for small. Now, that may not sound super profound, but it's incredibly profound. We need to learn to make room for small. Before she made the room on the roof, she made room in her little noggin to say, you know what? This could make a difference. This could have an impact. Now, I don't think she knew the impact that it would have, but she made room for something small. The world has taught us to think big, hasn't it? Think big. And, and you know what? Pastors do it too, right? Think big. Dream big. Go big or go or bigger is, right? And Mike P., that's okay. Uh, 
Thankfully, that's not true because he has a, uh, he lost a finger and he's got half of his finger in a, an unfortunate boating accident. So uh, thank goodness for him and anybody who may, might be vertically challenged. Bigger is not necessarily better. It's a joke, y'all relax. <laughs> I know you had a really stressful week, but we're gonna have some fun today as we, as we get into God's word. We gotta learn the power of small. It, question, why, why did the author, who we believe was Jeremiah, we don't know, he's not named, but why would the author leave out the name of the woman? We know her as the, the Shunammite woman. That's kind of almost like a, seems like a, a disservice, right? How would you like to be known as the surprising woman? Cassandra, you know? Cassandra has a better ring to it, right? But that wasn't by accident. That was done intentionally by the author. You see, I think God is teaching us when we read this passage to learn to make room for the small. If, if, if her name was Esther, we'd have said, oh, sh she's big. I mean, she saved the Jews for Pete's sake, right? Uh, or, or, or Ruth. If her name was Ruth, I mean, she's got unmatched character. Or if her name was Mary, oh, that's the mother of God. I can't relate to that. But you know what? Because the name is left out, all of a sudden, they leave the name out so we can put our name into this passage because we can see ourselves as small. We, can, we don't see other people as small, but we see ourselves as small. And to some degree, in this instance, in this context, it's good to see ourselves as small because then we can realize the power we have in small. We've seen, uh, we've seen the power of small in, in our nation. We've seen a shift of late, from big government, you have all the answers, lead us, to a couple thousand truckers driving across the U.S. It turns out we the people, us small little minions, actually have the power Oh, the power of a united people, of a united states when we come together. See, we see that in our, 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 our country. In 1831, there was a French diplomat. He was an author. He was a historian. His name was Alexis de Tocqueville. He, he came to America to study this nation. He wanted to see how a nation that was barely 50 years old could be so powerful and could have grown that way so fast. And so he studied. He studied our agricultural systems. He studied our schools. He studied our democratic process. And yes, he studied our constitution. And here's what he concluded. He said, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. How do we get great? By one small good decision, one small good nudge, one action at a time, fighting for righteousness, fighting for justice, fighting for the, for the unborn, fighting for the definition of marriage as God dictates fighting for what it means to be a man or a woman and fighting for people, fighting for people. And here's the thing, 
fighting for people who don't agree or think the way we think, right? Why is that important? We fight for those people, that we welcome those people. Here's why. Because they come into a church family not really knowing about Jesus, not really agreeing with us, not really understanding some of the things that we fight for and value. And all of a sudden, over time, they see our lifestyle, they hear the word of the God, word, word of God, and the truth shall set them free. free. Amen? So we fight to be good in the small things so we can be great in the big things. Somebody asked about Ukraine and said, Pastor, you know, what's, what's our response? Well, a biblical response to what's going on would be, first and foremost, we pray. We petition God. And they say, they say Pastor John, is, is it the end times? If anybody says yes or no to that question, be careful. Because the Bible says, we will not know the time or the season. No one can tell you when that's going to happen. But if it is, I can tell you this, we need not freak out. Because the Bible says, Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, he said, when these things happen, he said, look up, for your redemption is near. The worst thing that can happen is the best thing. We go home. We know how the story ends, y'all. We win. Amen? But let me caution you. Jesus said these words in Luke 8, 18. He said, be careful how you hear. And then he said in Mark 4, 24, he said, be careful what you hear. For those of you that still watch the television and watch news, I'm simply going to repeat Jesus' words. Be careful what you hear. Be careful how you hear. The narrative that, that we get sold isn't often what is transpiring. Jesus, this was the same problem they had many years ago. It's not a new problem, but be careful. God is doing things behind the scenes that we cannot see, we cannot know. He is fighting for his people. Amen? Amen. Amen. See, I've had to learn to think small, um, you know, in, in, in ministry. So, and, and make room for the small things. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example. So I, I work about, so for a message that, like this, it's about 25 hours that I'll put into this. Now, that's normal. That's, that's very, most pastors would put about that. That's about average, okay, on a message. What I have found is that the impact that I can make through this often is less than the impact I can make by spending 25 seconds in the lobby asking, how was your day, man? How you doing? You, you doing okay? Because you, you look like you're, you're kind of heavy today, you know? Simple things like that. 25 seconds, we can make a bigger impact in the seemingly small things. I love what Maya Angelou wrote. She said, people will forget what you said. People forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Amen? And, and I want to point something out in Scripture today that, that I think we might miss if we're not careful. And that is, Elisha shows us the power of noticing we live in a world where you're not noticed anymore. I'm not noticed. Except if I go to Eos at the gym and I'm trying to get a workout in and someone from the church comes, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, amen, no, you're really good. No, I'm just messing with you. Um, but we don't, we live in a world, man, where, where people aren't noticed. And we, as Christians, let's be honest, sometimes we don't notice people. I wonder if, if someone's assignment this week is a nudge, a notice nudge, just to, just to notice somebody. Maybe that's your assignment. 
this week as the Holy Spirit would nudge you. So verse 13, he says, Elijah says, now what could be done for you? He didn't have to ask that. But, but he looked at her and said, man, you went through all this. What can be done for you? And she, you know, she says, I have a house. I'm good, right? That's the equivalent of saying, I'm good. And then his BS meter goes off. <laughs> being superficial, right? She was BSing. She was being superficial in the moment, y'all. What'd you think I meant? <laughs> Jeez. You guys are terrible. So he's like, oh. I'm calling the BS flag. You're being superficial, right? And he asks her another question. But before I tell you that, let me tell you what I'm good really means. When, someone, when you ask someone at work, hey, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good means my life is a wreck. My spouse hates me. I just lost my job. or I'm going to lose my job soon. And my kids won't talk to me. That's oftentimes what I'm good means. We got to learn to notice. Hey, let, let me give you a, a practical application of this. Men, this is going to help you out. Anybody just married? Anybody freshly married? Are you here with your, are you, is your spouse here? <laughs> Give him a foot wedge for me. Get him to church. Because I had a word for him, okay? Is he watching online? Probably not. So here's, here's what, when, when, you, when you listen. Do you listen to fix things? Or do you listen to understand? Learn the art, gentlemen. And I'm working on this myself. She'll tell you. <laughs> Learn the art of listening to understand. Oh, yeah, but yeah, I can fix this, babe. I, I, I got... She do not want to be fixed. She just wants someone to listen. Part of noticing someone is listening to understand all the ladies are hitting their husbands right now. I can just see it right now. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, buddy. <laughs> but so he, 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 no, what can be done for you? I'm good. So then he goes to the servant. He says in verse 14, what can be done for her? He doesn't give up. When you notice someone, you don't give up on someone. And, and Gehazi, his servant says, well, she doesn't have a son and her husband's old. Oh, you mean her womb is barren. Wow. That's a, big, that's a big need. Friends, I want to tell you something. This world is full of barren wombs. There's a whole lot of barren wombs. You might be sitting next to someone with a barren womb. I'm not talking about someone who can't have a child. I'm talking about someone who may have lost a child or lost their hope, or they feel lost in a relationship. There's all sorts of, of barren wombs, and we walk by them at work. I wonder if someone, if the Holy Spirit just is putting someone, someone's face right in your mind right now that you walk by every day, and he's like, that's the nudge. I gotta notice. I, I gotta notice that person. He or she just, just needs to be noticed. That's why I'm so proud of Ronica. Ronica, God has used that woman to literally save three people's lives by simply taking time to notice them, two of whom go to this church. Literally, God used her to save their lives. They are on the precipice of doing something really, really stupid. 
really bad. And she noticed. I think about my brother here. I didn't share this first service. I thought about sharing your story up front. But let me just tell you, I showed up on his doorstep. How many years ago was that? Eight. Eight years ago. Your wife had just left you. Went to where, Kentucky or something? Kentucky. <laughs> and uh, your two kids. You were with your two kids, and that night or soon thereafter, you were planning something, weren't you? That night. He was, see, I didn't know that part. He was pulling out of the driveway, but he's not a paid actor, guys, okay? <laughs> it's, I can't believe this. You know, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't fake news. This is real life, okay? He's pulling out the driveway. We're pulling in to do a cookie visit. That's why when you're new here, you're gonna have some of, one of us show up, one of our teams show up for a cookie visit to bring you like a cup and some cookies. It ain't really about the cup and the cookies. It's about small things, which are big things like your life. <laughs> and I just wonder, what, what small nudge is God calling you to? For, for, for the woman, it was just to build a small room so God could fill an empty womb. What is it for you? For me this week, it was, well, actually, last Sunday I got a nudge. It was after uh, a second, our second service let out. I saw a guy named Jared who goes to this church. You have to understand, Jared had a really rough year. This past year, he was in a tragic car accident. His fiance was in the car. She died. He sustained some massive injuries. And I, I, I felt nudged last week just to go up, and I was behind him, so I... The Holy Spirit just, and I made a beeline for him and I came up behind him and gave him a big bear hug and he turned around and I said, Jared, I just want to tell you, I'm so proud of you. You could have given up on God and I know you had questions and I know you've been wrestling, but you have been here every week and you've been faithful. And I, I left it at that. Well, two days later, this, this past week, he was involved in a motorcycle accident. Broke both his arms. He's not here today, but I'm told he's watching this service online. And so, Jared, I just, I don't know what that small nudge, if that meant something to you or if it didn't, but all I know is God put you on my heart and he nudged me. And I just want to tell you, man, you matter to God. You are not small to God. Amen? Amen. And let's read on. Verse 18, the child grew and one day he went out to his father. He was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. The ways of God, peculiar sometimes. She, she, she went up and laid him on the bed of that small room of the man of God and then shut the door and went out. Someone can relate because you've lost a son. You've lost a daughter. You lost a family member. And I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. But you will see them again. But maybe someone else has lost something else, like hope or your dream that God gave you. Maybe that's died. What you do next, if you're in this situation, listen to me, what you do next matters. She went 
And she, she drug his body up the stairs. A lot of effort, a lot of extra work. And she took him to that small room and laid him on that small bed that she made for the prophet. Why? Why, Why would she do that? Because she knew something that we don't know. She knew the power of small places. Friends, we need to discover the power of small places. That was the very place that Elisha prophesied that she would have a son. That, that represented an anchor point of faith. It was in that small room that God spoke through his prophet and said, you will bear a son next time this year. And so she, she, she brought her son back to the place of promise. The place of promise was a small room. What's your place of promise? What's your anchor point of faith? I know for Gary, it's your back porch. Every morning, that's your anchor point. That's your small room. For somebody else, it might be a a weeping willow tree, a rocking chair under that tree. It might be a a little corner of the white tank mountains. I don't know what your your small place is. But Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 6, 6, he says, but when you go to pray, go into your room. That word room comes from a Greek word, timion, which means an inner room or even a closet. It's a small little room. Go into that small room, and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place. I wonder if you have a secret place. I'm not talking about that place you used to go, the club you used to go to before you, when you were sinning. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the place with God. That small little space. What is it for you? Where's your secret place? Huh? Where, where, where's your secret place? Come on. You drive to work in the morning? Okay, the car, yep. Hiking? Yeah, someone else last service said they, when they, he was riding his motorcycle, right? Because it's just, you know, I mean, there's chaos all around, but I, I, I rode, you know, and so I know what he's talking about, right? For some people, it's a, it's a hike. Who else? See, you got to find, you got to have, you got to have one. If you don't have one, I'll encourage you to find the, the power, discover the power of, of a secret place. And, and I just want to say, there's something that can happen in smaller groups that can't happen in this setting. And so I want to encourage you to, to check out our groups. Get involved in a, in a, in a small group, a men's group. We have women's groups. We have Celebrate Recover. We have students. We have marriage ministries. We have group, a grief group. Like Find a group where you can discover the power of small. This past week, I was reminded by some people and that go to this church of the power of small. So this is a picture of sweet uh, Emery. She's almost eight Emery, she, has, she was born with Down syndrome, and she needed a surgery, this, this a very invasive surgery, this past Monday to repair a damaged heart. And so I was approached by Stephanie. She, Stephanie helps run our uh, kids' ministry and does an amazing job. And she approached me and said, hey, uh, and she is, by the way, Stephanie is the aunt or aunt if you're from California, of, of Kinsey, which Kinsey is Emery's mom. So 
she, uh, she approached me, she said, can you come over to the house and, and pray on Sunday? I said, I have a better idea. Why don't you come and bring the whole family to the church and it's, it's bigger, right? And, and, and we can have more elders pray over it. Bigger is better. And Stephanie said, you know, I'd rather you just, just come to the house. And so we went to the house. And don't you know, when we went in there, you could just sense the Holy Spirit was so powerful. Sin and I went, and it was just like you, you, God was present. And, and it, was, it, was, it, was, um, it was as though we needed to be on the battlefield. For eight months, that's where they battled for that child. And, and any of you have special needs kids, you know what I'm talking about. And the rest of us who don't have special needs, truthfully, we don't fully know what, what they go through. There's a special place in heaven for those people with special needs kids. You have a reward. But let me tell you, we went in there and, and like you could just sense the battles. It, it was the, we raise a hallelujah. Yeah, that, that's raising a hallelujah on the blood-stained soil of, 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 that, of that living room where they had to cry out to God. They, they questioned God. They doubted God. They said, God, the gut-wrenching prayers, God, if you don't show up, we're in big trouble. She's in big trouble. Like, that was the battlefield. And it was upon that battlefield that we raised our hallelujah, that we offered up prayers to God. And it was powerful. And I've got a good report. God showed up Monday, and she is doing excellence. Let's give God praise. Brad and Krista, where you at? Where you at, Brad and Krista? I know they're, y'all are too young to be grandparents. You know that. You look way too young. But they, what you guys have done for your family, it wasn't small. <laughs> Every sacrifice, everything, it seems small. It was big to God. and It was big to that family. It'll be big to that baby girl. So thank you for your faithfulness. Yeah, amen. See, our biggest victories are won on the smallest battlefields. Okay? That's the truth I want you to understand. Our biggest victories are often won on the smallest battlefields. Let me give you an example. Remember, remember uh, you heard the story, some of you, of, about me in the MRI chamber. Turns out Johnny is a little claustrophobic. Something I developed later in life. Never was that way as a kid. Used to be locked in a trunk. Never had a problem with it. <sighs> or maybe it's PSD from the trunk. I don't know. But I've developed claustrophobia over the years. I'm like, well, that's weird. You know, and so I have to, so it's a battle I have to fight. You know, and so I went in a, MRI chamber, and I hit the little panic button, also known as the wuss button. You've heard the story. They, had, they shipped me out, and the nurses are like, ah. So I had to come back a week later. They gave me a pill, and I said, I need another pill. They gave me two pills. And then I went in there, and I was praying. I was just warring against the enemy. I was worshiping. And by God's grace, I made it out. But let me give you 2.0. That's 1.0. 2.0 happened this past week. 2.0 happened when I uh, was asked... Well, actually, Bob and Deanne, me, who go to this church, said, you know, we want to bless you and Gavin with a ride-along for NASCAR. And so I thought, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome, except when you're claustrophobic. <laughs> Not so much, Kim, when you get claustrophobic, because you're in this little car. And so the whole time leading up, I'm, I'm thinking, I know this is going to be problematic, man. I know it's going to, it's going to push me. I'm going to have to fight. I'm going to have to battle, right? And I'm even thinking, like, I could sneak some NyQuil in her or something, you know? I'm not saying that's good, okay? Don't judge me. I didn't take any NyQuil. I'm just saying I was, you start thinking things like, last time I had, I had some medicinal help and like, you know? And so 
they, they put you in a suit, right? And, uh, well, actually, you get in a suit. It'd be a little weird if they put you in it. <laughs> so I get in a little suit, and they give you a helmet. And they gave me, and I kid you not, a size small helmet. So the whole small theme was, was all over this car. And they gave Gavin the same size helmet. We both looked small. I, mean, I, I could see his noggin requiring a small, but this melon, at least a medium, right? So they give me a small, and, and, and then I put it on. You know, so I'm here, I'm in this little helmet. Then you got to climb through the window. Now, I don't consider myself a portly man. I can sit, I could fit an average size rowboat. That's for the office fans. You got me. So I have to get inside this little window in it with small helmet, small window, and I get in there. And then I got to sit because it's a, they're really made for one seat, right? But it's a ride-along car. They don't adapt the car. They just stick another seat in there. And it's a small seat. So I got a small helmet. I got a small window that I had to get in. And now I'm sitting in this little baby seat like this. And like my shoulders, I can't move my shoulders. I'm like, I mean, I, I, I wedged in there. And then they put a five-point harness on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then they... Right when before they're done, they do this thing where they and and your shoulders go. So I'm I'm thinking, do I tell this guy I've got some issues? No, I'm going to play it off. And so here I am in this seat, small helmet, small window, small seat, small five point harness, and as if things couldn't get any worse for a claustrophobic guy, they put a Hans device on me. Now, I don't know if you know what a Hans device is, but whatever Hans and Franz were thinking, <laughs> they weren't thinking of, of claustrophobic people, right? Because it's a device you hook to your neck, and now I can't move my neck to the left or right, which I guess is useful if you're going to hit the wall, but not so much if you struggle with things that I struggle with. And so there I am, I can't move, and I got to go six laps at 140 miles an hour in this coffin on wheels. But by the grace of Almighty God and by the victory that I had in that little chamber of death known as the MRI chamber, that small battle, that small little battle that I had, it gave me just enough through the power of the Spirit to deliver me and for me not to freak out. Bob never knew until this morning that I was even a bit nervous. <laughs> he does now. But let me point you back to God's word. Remember when, when David went to fight the, the Philistine, the giant? What did he say? He, he, he said, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, what he did in, in a small little room, he's now going to deliver me from the hand of the Philistine on a big stage. Why? Because I first won the battle in the small places. Learn to fight and win in small places. There's power there. But her husband... He, he, he didn't understand what was going on. He missed it. 
He didn't understand the power of small places. Verse 22, she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. In other words, it's not a holy day. You know what her answer was? She didn't try to explain it to him. She said, that's all right. Uh, she said, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. I don't know if you caught that, but the same reason she didn't tell her husband about the prophet because he didn't have enough faith to understand is the same reason she didn't tell her husband that she laid the body up in the prophet's room, the prophet's small room. Why? Because the husband, if he knew that the body was there, he would have walked in and saw a morgue. She walked in and saw a miracle. <laughs> and then she says, don't slow down. Don't slow down. Whatever. Why? Why'd she tell him not to slow down? Because had she slowed down, had they took their time and he found the body, by the time they got home, that body would have been buried. Here's what I want to tell you today. This is, this is the message for someone. This is why you came. So this is for someone. I don't know who it is, but God told me this part was for somebody. God said, don't bury what I want to bless. Don't bury the thing that God wants to bless in your life. Maybe it's something he spoke to you that hasn't worked out yet or something you thought you heard wrong or maybe he, you thought God spoke at a turn. Don't bury it. Some of us, we need to exhume our blessing because we've kind of tucked it away. For surprise, surprise, that was my, my blessing. See, I went through some church hurt and things didn't go exactly the, the, the way I thought, partly because of the church, maybe partly because of me. And, and, and so... What happened? I just wanted to bury a surprise. I wanted to, I, I, I never, in, in a sense, I wanted to plant this church, but in a sense, I never wanted to plant this church because it represent, surprise represented a wound for me. And God said, you're burying the thing I want to bless. I want you to plant a church and surprise. And listen, healing doesn't mean the damage never existed. It means the damage no longer controls our lives. Amen? And, and so what I want to challenge you today is, what is it that you need to lay on the altar? What is it that you've buried in your life that, that you need to lay up here? What is it? Oh, how weird would it be if we were honest enough and we could actually say it? You know, let, me, let, me, let me peer down in my life. Uh, I said surprise, right? But it was more than surprise. It was control. For me, I had to put control on the altar. And, and I still wrestle with it. How do I know? Because I want to tell you what's going on with the land. Our realtor was here last, last service. And I want to tell you, but God, God hasn't worked it all out yet. And so I have to put that on the altar and say, it's yours. What, what is it that you need to put on? Come on, someone be honest. Let's just be a church that's real. I mean, we can put it on a t-shirt, but like, it's e that's easier. But like, what is it? But be honest. What is it? Not giving up on the homeless. Because sometimes you come back from a, a weekend of doing that and, and, and you think it's, it's small. Right? Yeah. Are you really making a difference? 
because the enemy wants us to think that it's, say it with me, small. But when you love the least of these, Jesus says it's huge. Our small, what we think is small, is, is, is enormous. So don't you bury that. Don't bury it, because God's going to bless it. You might have a bigger ministry coming out of this church than you even know. Don't you give up on that. Come on out here. I want to I wanna close with a, a story. These two friends, Josh and Tiffany, they were, uh, a couple years ago, they are about to bury a failed marriage, and God had other plans. Well, um, about a year and a half ago, um, our marriage was in a very, very dark place. Um, he was actually trying to regain his faith, and I've never had it. I was very angry with the life that I had to live and what I went through. And then I looked at things a little differently, and I realized that God was building me into the person I am today and gave me that strength. Hmm. So last year, we, we started streaming the gathering services from our home up in Washington, and uh, one of the services especially we were watching because our niece Hannah was getting baptized. Um, and John had mentioned, uh, that was when you announced the Dude Challenge, and she looked at me and said, you know, how cool would it be for you to go down and go to your the Dude Challenge with your brother? A little nudge. Yeah. And then it got even more nudgy when my brother called me after the service and she had not spoken to my brother yet about it. And he calls me and he's like, hey, you're flying down and you're going to the dude challenge. <laughs> Nudge. <laughs> yep. Um, so I came down and went to the dude challenge and had an incredible time. Um, I learned a lot about my faith. One of the biggest things that I learned from the, the pastors and, and, and everybody there was so a little something so little too, something so small mm-hmm. was the triangle: husband, wife, and God. And the closer you get to God, or the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. And it it opened my eyes to something. So when he came back from the dude challenge, I got my husband back. And he looked at me and said, we're moving. I said, okay. (laughs) Another nudge. Um, And we came down here and been here ever since. And they serve and are a big part of set up and tear down. That's why, Ken, that's why you're wiping your eyes. They've been, they not only attend this church, they are part of the fabric of this church. And I thank God for you guys. Come on, give them praise. Love you. Love you guys. So the woman finds Elisha at Mount Carmel. They hurry back to the room. They hurry back and the blessing, the blessing is dead. The blessing lay still on the bed. I want to tell someone, God's not finished. Say it with me. God's not finished. Oh, that's pathetic. Say it like you have a little fight in you. God's not finished. Someone needs to hear that. That's prophetic for someone. Say it again. God's not finished. God is not finished with your story. It ain't over. You might be under something, but under doesn't mean over. God's not finished. Verse 32, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. 
He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times. How many times? Seven times and opened his eyes. But did it really matter? I mean, it's a small detail. What if he would have sneezed six? No, no, it took seven times because if you look in the Bible, the word seven is used 735 times and it means and it represents completeness. God was completing. He didn't give up on him. He didn't abandon him. He didn't wrench his, oh my God, he's dead. What are we going to do? No, no, no. He was in the process of completion. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to, say it louder, completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, God is in the process of doing a great work in us. He is completing us. And a lot of that is on him. A lot of that we can't touch and we have nothing to do with. But some of it we do. We play a part in our own completion. And what is that part? Being nudgeable. Responding to the small, insignificant nudges that God gives us each and every day. The nudges that we think they're not going to make a difference. They go in one ear and out the other, and we don't act on it. God's saying, act on it. Act on, hey, I think you should go to the Dude Challenge. And by the way, fellas, sign up for the love of God for Dude Challenge. Not because we need you there, but because you need to be there. Because your story is being completed. And part of that completion, there's a chapter of your story that's called Dude Challenge 2.0. God's going to do a work there. Trust me. Will you make room for small this week? Will you do that? Will you discover that secret place, that small place that you can go to, that you can run to, that's an anchor point of faith when all hell breaks loose in your life, when things aren't going right, when you get that phone call, when you get that report, when you check your bank account and it doesn't, where do you go? Go to that secret place. In the end, that small nudge to create a small room on the roof, it produced two things. It produced a son, big deal, right? It's a big deal. But it also produced a story that would be told for years and years to come. We're talking about 3,000 years later, we're still talking about the story. God wants to give you a story and that story starts with something small. Let's capture the power of small. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, God, for your goodness, for who you are and what you are doing through the nudges in this church family. God, I thank you that we would no longer look at those small nudges as insignificant. Forgive us, Lord. We repent for our belief that you can't do great things from small things. Lord, continue to expand our thinking, to think big when necessary, but when necessary to think incredibly small so that we don't miss the power of the small.
with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus, you can know him by simply praying a simple prayer. Jesus died so that you could be with him forever. So if you're watching online or you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, you can know him. You will know where you spend eternity by making this prayer to God. Saying this prayer. Just say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I believe you died for me so that I could be free and so that I could experience life everlasting once and for all. I give you my life. You laid down yours for me. Now I'm giving mine to you. Use me for great things in this life, big and small things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome them into the family of God. Amen. Amen, amen. Listen, if you made that decision, stop on the way out of our Connect counter. We have a free gift for you. If you need prayer, please, our pastors and, and our prayer team are up front. We want to pray with you. Don't carry that burden alone. We are here for you. Also, on your way out, remember to sign up for Do Challenge and also share your nudge stories on our Facebook page. We want to hear what God is doing in your life. All right, you guys ready? Stand up, stand to your feet and say, I'm going to be faithful in the small things. I'm going to be faithful in the small things. God bless you. Love you guys. Have a great week.